Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, the 67th Psalm, the nations called to praise God. Let us listen for God's holy word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us and let all the ends of the earth revere him. Here ends our first reading. is drawn from the book of Revelation. And I'll be focusing my message today primarily upon these passages. It's important to remember that this particular book of the Bible was written as a letter of encouragement, what we call apocalyptic literature, which literally just means taking the cover off the future. So against all other sort of evidence to the contrary, there is a vision of great love and light in front of us. And it was meant to be specific encouragement for Christians. In other words, not merely some sort of crystal ball making uh, document, but something that would shape the way in which you choose to live your life because you know the end of the story and you want to arrive at that point. So in this passage then, we're going to hear this vision that John on the island of Patmos received. And uh, as we do so, we'll be listening to what an angel showed to him. Hear now God's word in this reading. And in the spirit, an angel carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I saw in this city no temple which, and I know we've got our our children with us throughout the course of our time today, I just want to underscore the central physical characteristic of this great city was the temple. So he sees in the city no temple, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. As I shared, this particular passage is one that makes use of images. So the lamb is that image for Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or of moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. 
people will bring into it the glory of the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit in each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They'll need no light or lamp of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the end of our reading from Holy Scripture. May we receive God's grace and walk in God's light day by day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, when I was growing up as a boy, there was a tree house that uh, was in a little ravine on an old tree that had weathered through decades. It was a twisted California coastal pine with a trunk that curled just right so my buddy and I could take a big piece of plywood and make a platform for this palace of ours by the sea. It was our sanctuary, our preteen temple for every sort of sacred and hidden scheming that we could conjure for the kids of our neighborhood. I was raised by the Pacific Ocean near fields of garbanzo beans that when dried, my friends and I who never experienced snow growing up could use to sled on down on cardboard boxes. A local ordinance in those days had forbidden construction on those bluffs by the sea, so it was our magical place of meaning. A few weeks ago, I returned to that location where I used to gaze out on the sea through my teenage years. And uh, it seems they've changed the local ordinances. Multi-million dollar mansions now fill the fields where we once would play. And the Trump National Golf Course has removed the ravine and the mystic old tree that once held our temple by the sea. And it was a lonely feeling to discover the places that I once knew could no longer be seen. Maybe like the Melody Farms around here for some of you. In the days of our passage from Revelation in Scripture today, Jerusalem was known as a great center of ancient religion. But the temple had been recently destroyed. Less than 20 years had passed since the physical center of the religion for, in which Jesus was raised had fallen. 
The temple had fallen and it was never to be built again. Scholars tell us that John wrote these verses we've heard today while he was isolated from his spiritual family on the island of Patmos. And day after day, he would look out at the sea longing for a day of reunion and of new beginnings. And what we receive in this letter is a vision that God offered to John on that island that was sent in letter form using lots of images during a time of persecution. And in that vision, he says that the sea, which is a symbol of separation, would be no more. That he would be reunited. And he sees the city of Jerusalem that everyone knew had been destroyed, raised to the ground. He sees a new Jerusalem arriving that welcomes all people through its gates. And when he looked at this city, he did not see that which was its most prominent feature. As it says in Revelation 21, I didn't see a temple in the city because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So in the final vision of the Bible, this last book of the Bible, the physical location for religion is no more. In the final vision, we live and move and have our being in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for the Christian faith to flourish, its believers had to let go of fallen temples so they could walk in the light of the Lord. I wonder today if there is something that God might be inviting you to release. You know, there is a hiker who was climbing one day and he got a little too close to a cliff and he fell and he started tumbling, scrambling around and he reached and grabbed hold of a branch and he called out, help, help, is there someone up there that can help me? Then a voice, this is God, how can I help you? And he says, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. I, I could really use some help. He said, of course, no problem. The first thing you have to do is let go of the branch. Hey, is there someone else up there? <laughs> I wonder, could it be that sometimes God needs us to let go of something precious? so something more beautiful can begin. Now, in the days of this letter being written, there was a long pier that extended from the eastern shore of the Mediterranean out from a Roman port in Palestine called Caesarea. And the stunning attribute of this port was the burnished metal face of Caesar that was facing the setting sun in the west. And as the sun would set, his face would grow more bright and become a beacon for the seafarers who were heading east. 
In the days that John wrote his revelation, he has written his vision as code because it had to go out as code with all this imagery in an era in which there was an emperor with a fragile ego sitting on the throne in Rome. The emperor Domitian was most particularly eager not only to be addressed as Lord, but he liked to be addressed as God. He wanted his face to shine light on the world and his alone. But friends, his light, great as it was, was an artificial light. And when I look around the world today, I see that our world, our eyes, and our souls are filled with artificial light. Jesus offers a different light, a light of sacrificial love. Jesus said there is no greater love than when someone lays down their life for another. I wonder, what are you willing to let go? This weekend we honor those who have given their lives in service of our country. We pause and remember. There is a greater light than all the lumens we switch on and off with barely a thought these days. John writes of a future where we won't need the light of lamp or even the light of the sun for the Lord God will shine. John is writing of a different light. We might say a natural light. He describes a line of trees on either side of a river running through this vision of a holy city, a healing city. And this is the vision of God's future that John can see, a holy city, a healing city. We're not given this vision to be just a, a pie in the sky, by and by. The vision is meant to lead the way we live today, to be a holy city, a healing city. And this city was such a contrast from the empire where all roads lead to Rome so all nations can be in service of one city. By contrast, in God's vision, one city opens doors for all nations, all peoples, so that one city can be a blessing, a healing, for all. In God's vision, the leaves of the trees of eternity are given for the healing of the nations, the healing of all people. And isn't this healing missing in our common life today? In our discussion of tragedies surrounding abortion, where's the healing? In our discussion of refugees uprooted from their homeland, where's the healing? On this Memorial Day weekend, where is the healing? Where is the light in the public life that we share? Since September 11th, nearly 7,000 servicemen and women have given their lives in Afghanistan and Iraq. 
Nearly 8,000 contractors we've hired have died in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iraq. And all told, approximately 500,000 people have died in those nations, and that doesn't even include the 500,000 people who've died in the conflict in Syria and the horrible tragedy taking place in Yemen today. There is so much death in our world, even today. And for all of our advances, the human predicament is still plagued by war and global conflict. So on Memorial Day, we do not forget those who have given their lives. And as Christians, we remember them with healing leaves, with healing for the nations. In this world, there are still those who rule by Caesar's playbook. Caesar reigns by power and privilege, but a Christian is called to let that go and to walk in the light. The letter of Revelation was a kind of secret code book sent across the empire meant to challenge the reigning presumptions of the day. In that world, one man could rule by power and privilege, but in the world that God is bringing, it is God who reigns and does so by flowing the light of grace through many, through all of us. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will rule forever. And they shall reign forever and ever. We love that sang it at Easter. But here's the key to the way they reigned. In the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans at verse 17, he says, those who receive the multiplied grace and the gift of righteousness will even more certainly rule in life. And they won't do so like Caesar with power and privilege. No, through one person, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for all by his healing and by the multiplied gift of grace. Now, when you read this letter in Revelation, it speaks in sweeping and global terms. It describes a revolution of the spirit that is given as a spiritual prescription for the world. But this gift of light that God offers the world will only be known today through people like you and me. Friends, we are the healing leaves for our neighbors, for the nation, for this world. I'm going to close with a scene from a, a short story called The Foreseeable Future by a contemporary North Carolina writer who died in 2011, Reynolds Price. In it, a central character is named Whit Wade, who is returned from World War II severely wounded. And he encounters a spiritual healer named Juanita. She asks, did your brain get damaged? or any of your backbone, would said, not any physical damage. What hurts 
is my soul. Well, that will give you fits. Are you saved, she asked. Pretty surely, he said, but I'd rather drink lie than talk about it. I accepted Christ when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And you know he loves you. Witt said, I do. His eyes were shut. He was bracing for an oncoming missionary spiel. And if it came, he knew he'd thank her and get out of there as fast as possible. But instead, in response, Juanita kept up a long, breathing silence. And then, first a little yip in her voice, like she just had been waking up, she said, Whitley Wade, you are now alive. Any day you'll realize you've been healed. Worshiping friend, if you want to know how healing will come into this world, it's going to come in small measures. Small acts, small words that you and I will do. It will come through you and through me as we walk in the light of the Lord. And then maybe one day the world will see with a healing of grace such as that. They'll see with God's light that it is love, love that will reign forever and ever. This I deliver to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.